Attention lovers of mysteries, I certainly count myself as one. In recent years, I've become flat-out addicted to British and Scottish mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. And the natural extension of those is a game that allows me to experience the mystery instead of just reading it or watching it. Don your own detective hat in June's Journey, a free, hidden-object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. It's set in the glitz and glamour of the Roaring Twenties, and you play as June, deciphering clues and uncovering secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. New chapters are added to the game each week, and you can personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. Download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Warning. This series contains scenes of graphic violence and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Richard Kuklinski was now working as a freelance contract killer for all the big New York mob families. As word spread of his efficient, diligent reputation, Richard was traveling all over the world to execute, pun intended, his contracts. And no matter the situation, he approached every one of them methodically and calmly and kept his mouth shut when the job was finished. A non-Italian hitman who could be trusted was rare, and Richard's murder scheduling book was always full. Now, in the summer of 1976, Richard was on his way to Los Angeles for a job. He had flown to L.A. the previous year to handle some personal business, by which he meant he used a hand grenade to kill a porn shop owner who owed him $10,000. Now he was in town on a job for Roy DeMeo, the Gambino family associate who was most closely connected to Richard. The man Richard needed to hunt down was craftier than most. He lived in a pink condo complex in Sherman Oaks, and he rarely left his home. When he did, he made sure there were plenty of witnesses. Richard watched the man for days and waited for an opportunity. But the longer Richard hung around, the greater the chance someone would be able to identify him. He was six foot five and weighed well over 200 pounds. He stuck out in a crowd. Richard became frustrated, a rarity for him. Finally, an idea hit him. He had seen it work on a Bugs Bunny cartoon and figured he had nothing to lose. Richard approached the man's door and knocked several times. He knew the man was home and saw the light through the peephole as the man pressed his eye against it. Richard knocked again and waited as he saw a blurred shadow approach the door. Richard placed the barrel of his 38 against the peephole. When the shadowy figure filled the frame, which meant he was looking through the inside of the peephole, Richard fired, 
hitting the man in the eye and killing him instantly. Richard calmly pocketed his gun and drove to West Hollywood for dinner before flying back to his family on the East Coast. Richard Kuklinski was now filling four to six contracts a month, which meant he was killing at least a person every week. And as he turned himself into a hitman machine, he wanted to expand his killing repertoire. Most jobs could be done with a knife or a gun, but there were inherent risks with those methods. Richard decided it was time to learn how to use poison. From Black Barrel Media, this is Infamous America. I'm your host, Chris Wimmer, and this season we're telling the story of one of the most prolific, notorious, and terrifying mafia hitman of all time, the Iceman. This is episode three, The Galante Assassination. In the second half of 1976, two new chapters were beginning in Richard Kuklinski's life. One was a criminal, money-making enterprise that also involved his evolution into poisons. That was the fast lane chapter that moved very quickly in the foreground. In the background, in the slow lane, was the changing of the guard in the Gambino family. A couple months after Richard returned from his mission to L.A. for Roy DeMeo, the Gambino family boss, Carlo Gambino, died. Carlo wanted his brother-in-law, Paul Castellano, to take over as boss of the family. Castellano ascended to the throne of the biggest and most powerful of the five crime families in New York, and he instantly made enemies of 19 of his 20 captains. The only one who supported Castellano's promotion was Nino Gaggi. Gaggi, a small man with a big temper, had been tight with Castellano for 30 years. With Castellano now in the top spot, Gaggi believed he would benefit. Roy DeMeo was also pleased with Castellano's new position. DeMeo wasn't a captain. Technically, he wasn't even a soldier. To become a soldier in a crime family, you had to be a made man. And DeMeo's only goal in life was to be made. Roy DeMeo was part of Nino Gaggi's crew. And now that Gaggi's old friend Paul Castellano was the boss of the family, DeMeo was excited that his goal of becoming a made man was closer than ever. But that didn't mean it would actually happen. DeMeo was raking in a small fortune for Nino Gaggi, who then funneled some of it to Castellano. The new mob boss was impressed, but not impressed enough to make DeMeo. Castellano thought DeMeo was an unhinged psychopath who would attract the police. On the psychopath part, he was right. DeMeo specialized in killing people for the mob, just like Richard Kuklinski. But DeMeo often dismembered his victims and scattered their parts across the city to hide the crime. Regardless, Gaggi continued to go to bat for DeMeo, but at least for now, Castellano wasn't budging. And DeMeo's next job for Richard Kuklinski brought attention to the crew and the family that the bosses probably didn't want. But it vaulted Richard's growing legend into the stratosphere and made DeMeo love him even more. DeMeo asked Richard to go up to Harlem to shake down a black guy who owned a bar. It seems the guy owed DeMeo a lot of money and had reneged on his payment plan. 
Richard drove uptown with a pair of helpers, Eddie and Freddie. No joke, those were their names. They pulled up to the bar. Eddie got out of the car and went inside. Eddie insisted he go in alone because he knew the owner from jail. Richard sat in the car and wondered why he was even needed if Eddie could handle this so easily. Minutes later, Richard heard gunfire and shattering glass. He jumped out of the car and ran toward the bar. But before he made it with the door, someone hit him in the forehead with a Louisville Slugger baseball bat. The bat nearly cracked his skull, but Richard managed to stay on his feet. He pulled out his gun and headed back toward the door when Eddie burst outside clutching his stomach. He'd been shot, and Richard demanded they go in and get the bastards who did it. Eddie said that would be stupid. There were way too many of them. They fled the scene, and Richard doctored Eddie's bullet wound. When they were safe and able to regroup, they called Roy DeMeo and told him what happened. The three hitmen wanted to grab heavy-duty weapons and return to Harlem for payback. Reluctantly, DeMeo gave them the go-ahead. They drove to Eddie's place in Hell's Kitchen. He had a steamer trunk filled with guns, and they loaded up. Richard grabbed a 12-gauge shotgun. Eddie and Freddie grabbed MAC-10s, machine pistols that fired 30 rounds per second. They were going to lay waste to a bar in Harlem. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples, especially in the spring when the pollen from desert plants here in Arizona is off the charts. I get all the classic symptoms. Coughing, sneezing, runny nose, itchy eyes, and a pressure buildup in my head. The works. Luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. The double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Richard, Eddie, and Freddie drove back to the bar and parked out front. Richard's forehead wound had swelled to the size of an orange, but he didn't care. He was likely so filled with rage, he barely felt it. Richard charged inside, and the other two followed. They shot at anything that moved, and virtually everything that didn't. Richard's shotgun boomed as he blasted everyone he saw. The MAC-10s whirred as their bullets sprayed the bar. It was a bloodbath, and it was over in seconds. The men piled back into their car and drove back to Brooklyn. Freddie told Roy DeMeo how Richard had gone inside the bar by himself and fearlessly started shooting. DeMeo was beyond thankful. Even though it was the exact opposite of the low-key murders that were Richard's hallmark, 
the Harlem shootout sent a hell of a message to people who thought they could fight the Gambino family. The legend of Richard Kuklinski grew. Though few people even knew his name, he was either the big guy or the Polak. But Roy DeMeo certainly knew, and he gave Richard a hug and a basket filled with Italian meats as an additional thank you. Richard was not as excited as everyone else. He drove home with the biggest headache he'd ever had. He wondered why he'd gotten involved in this mess. He was nearly killed. The whole endeavor was stupid. He silently blamed DeMeo, and Richard was more determined than ever to kill Roy DeMeo. Richard's association with Roy DeMeo was somewhat complex. Doing jobs for DeMeo had further opened the door for Richard to work with the most powerful mafia families on the East Coast. But the new Gambino boss, Paul Castellano's assessment of DeMeo, was right on the money. DeMeo was unhinged and often out of control. Three years earlier, DeMeo thought Richard insulted him. And DeMeo and a couple goons beat Richard so badly that Richard had to go to the hospital. Under any other circumstances, Richard would have fought back and probably would have killed the offenders by now. But at the time, Richard just had to take it. DeMeo wasn't a made man, but so closely connected to the most powerful crime family in New York that Richard couldn't touch him. Yet. After Richard was forced to absorb the painful and humiliating beatdown, he vowed to kill Roy DeMeo. But the time wasn't right, so he waited and accepted jobs from DeMeo and hugs and meat baskets. And with each new job, especially ones like the crazy Harlem shootout, Richard's reputation as a hitman grew. As his reputation grew, so did the demand for his abilities. As he accepted more and more contracts, he searched for new ways to kill people. In the late 1970s, he became interested in poison. And to get it, he turned to one of the few people he could call a friend. Maybe friend was too strong a word, but the man was at least a social acquaintance and, of course, a partner in crime. His name was Phil Solomine. Solomine had a store in Patterson, New Jersey. At least, it was supposed to be a store. The place had no sign out front, and everything he sold was stolen, from innocuous things like small appliances, coffee, and perfume, to serious things like drugs, pornography, and guns. Solomine was a slick schemer with slicked back black hair, and like Richard, he would do anything for a dollar. Well, anything but kill. Phil Solomine was not a killer, but he had no issue with setting people up to be robbed and killed. Richard had met Phil through the criminal underworld and they developed a scheme. Phil would offer merchandise and when a buyer showed up with cash, Solomine would call Richard. Within minutes, Richard would stop by hang out with the buyer, get him alone, and then kill him. Then Richard and Solomine would split the money that the buyer had brought to make the purchase. The concept was simple but effective. And over time, Richard allowed himself to become friendly with Phil Solomine. Richard and his wife Barbara socialized with Solomine and his wife. Phil Solomine was one of the only people in America who knew Richard's home phone number and address. That would come back to haunt both of them. But for now, Richard had a request for the guy who trafficked in stolen goods and seemed to be able to get anything. Poison.
Richard said he wanted to kill rats. Big rats. So he needed something big. Cyanide, strychnine, or arsenic. Phil Solomine went to work. A few days later, Solomine introduced Richard to a pharmacist who would sell him all the poison he wanted. The pharmacist, Paul Hoffman, was greedy and involved with the mob. Turns out it didn't take much work for Phil Solomine to make the connection. Hoffman had been buying hijacked drugs from Solomine for years and selling them for huge profits, everything from aspirin and antibiotics to diet pills. Now Hoffman agreed to sell Richard the poison and tutor him on the proper doses. Obviously, Richard wasn't trying to kill rats, so he needed to know how much poison to use for victims who were usually adult males. Hoffman explained that if Richard used too much of the poison, the police could determine the cause of death. If he didn't use enough, it might make the person sick, but it wouldn't kill him. The trick was to use just enough, and in just the right way, to make it look like the victim died of something other than obvious poison. Maybe the cops would figure it out anyway, but at least it would take them a while. Richard was trying to kill a lieutenant in the Bonanno family and wanted to test the poison. The job wouldn't be easy. The Bonanno lieutenant was Tony Scavelli, and he always had two bodyguards with him. Richard had already stalked Tony for nearly two weeks and could never get close enough to make a move. That helped drive his interest in poison. Richard was always methodical about planning a hit, which was part of the reason the mob loved him. But two weeks was a long time. Usually it took a day or two for him to figure out a plan. So this case clearly called for something different. Paul Hoffman showed Richard how to mix cyanide with another liquid and then pour it into a hypodermic needle. Hoffman called it a lethal hot shot. In the spring of 1977, Richard followed Scavelli into a nightclub and sauntered toward him on the dance floor, moving in rhythm to the blasting dance music. Richard took an angle that would allow him to slip past Scavelli and move straight to the exit. Richard bopped through the crowd, moved close to Scavelli, jabbed him with the needle, and continued right out the door. Within a minute, Scavelli collapsed on the dance floor. Within two minutes, he was dead. Everyone just assumed it was a heart attack. Even the autopsy didn't detect the poison. Richard, with Hoffman's guidance, had used exactly the right amount. After that incredibly successful trial run with a needle and a poison, Richard was hooked. He started to use the poisons, which he referred to as his new friends, full-time. And he quickly expanded his horizons in terms of delivery methods. A made man in the Genovese family named Billy Mana was Richard's next target. Richard contacted Mana and invited him out for a drink, saying he had a ton of fur coats he wanted to sell really cheap. They met at a bar in Union City, New Jersey. When Mana went to the bathroom, Richard dumped a pinky-sized vial of cyanide into his drink. After Mana finished it, Richard ordered another round. Before drink number two arrived, Mana was already choking. His eyes swelled and he clutched his throat. He toppled over and crashed to the floor. Richard yelled, heart attack, call a doctor. Then, while all eyes were on the fallen man, Richard casually disappeared. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Nobody looked forward to Carmine Galante's release from prison. In 1962, he had been convicted of drug trafficking and was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. He served 12, and in 1974, he was released. He had risen up through the ranks of the Bonanno crime family and was underboss to Joseph Bonanno at the time of his conviction. Galante helped establish a heroin smuggling pipeline to the U.S., but then he went to prison for his efforts. While he was away, the shadowy governing body of the mafia in those days, known as the Commission, forced Joseph Bonanno to retire. Rusty Rastelli became the new boss. And then, two years after Galante was released from prison, Rastelli went to prison. Galante took control of the Bonanno family by force and immediately became a brash and aggressive tyrant. He cranked up the drug trade and went after his enemies, mostly the Gambino family. Galante became so greedy and violent that the heads of the other four families secretly met in Boca Raton and decided that Galante had to go. It was rumored that Joseph Bonanno himself, the man who had guided Galante's entire career, sanctioned the hit. In Richard Kuklinski's version of the story, Roy DeMeo, the Gambino family associate, organized the assassination of Carmine Galante. It was the summer of 1979, and it would not be an easy job. Galante was crafty. He knew people wanted him dead. He didn't follow a predictable routine. He was always armed, as were his two bodyguards who accompanied him everywhere. But even though he tried to be unpredictable, he enjoyed a particular restaurant in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn. It was called Joe and Mary's Italian-American Restaurant, and it was owned by his friend Giuseppe Tirano, who may also have been a Bonanno soldier. The restaurant was small, long, and narrow. The front door on Knickerbocker Avenue was the only way in or out. There was a small, square, outdoor patio in the back. Tall buildings rose up on three sides of the patio, and the only way to get to it was to walk through the entire length of the restaurant. Carmine Galante only ate on the patio so that he and his bodyguards could see anyone coming. The setup was great for security, which was obviously why Galante liked it and it was terrible for an assassination. But there was no choice. It was happening there. Richard said he and DeMeo met at the restaurant in the second week of July, 1979, to scout it out. 
Richard didn't like the setup, but DeMeo assured him that at least one, or maybe both, of Galante's bodyguards was in on the hit. Richard would already be inside the restaurant eating lunch when Galante arrived, so he wouldn't attract suspicion. DeMeo would provide two more guys as insurance, and they would get the job done. On July 12, 1979, Carmine Galante entered the restaurant with his two bodyguards. He walked out to the patio and began lunch with the owner, Giuseppe Tirano. Soon, another friend and Bonanno captain, Leonard Coppola, arrived and joined the group on the patio. According to Richard, he sat inside, eating a meatball sub and reading a newspaper, and watched the group assemble on the patio. At about 2.45 p.m., Richard's two backup gunmen arrived. He strode through the restaurant toward the patio to get the show started. In the official version, it was reported that three men wearing ski masks walked out onto the patio and started blasting. Richard certainly would have been smart to wear a mask, as a six-foot-five, 300-pound monster of a man who would have been easy to identify. Either way, the three assassins barged onto the patio and opened fire. Galante, Toronto, and Coppola were all shot multiple times in the head and body. Galante fell out of his chair and slumped to the ground. As his body came to rest, his head was propped up at an awkward angle against the cement curb around the patio. One of his many gunshot wounds was to the left eye, and he died with a cigar still dangling from his lips. Photos of the crime scene are some of the most infamous in Mafia history. Toronto and Coppola also died, but the bodyguards were unharmed. The assassins fled the restaurant after a brazen daylight murder that, of course, went unsolved for several years. During the historic courtroom trial in the mid-1980s that was known as the Mafia Commission Trial, Anthony Indelicato was the only person convicted of the Galante murders. The trial was the fruit of a decade of labor by the FBI and other law enforcement agencies, and it tore apart the old fabric of the five New York crime families. It certainly didn't end the mafia, but it did end the good old days. And beyond the fallout for the mob, the trial has two interesting connections to infamous America. Anthony Indelicato was married to a woman named Catherine Burke. Catherine was the daughter of Jimmy Burke, the charismatic gangster whose crew pulled off the Lufthansa heist. Jimmy was played by Robert De Niro in the movie Goodfellas. And one of the other eight defendants in the trial was Christopher Fernari, better known as Christy the Tick. He supervised the Pierre Hotel heist on behalf of the Lucchese family. And there's actually another connection around this time to the Miami drug wars. At the same time Richard Kuklinski was establishing himself as a premier hitman in New York, Griselda Blanco was establishing herself as a drug-smuggling entrepreneur in the same city. By the time Carmine Galante was killed, she had set up her operation in Miami, and her associates in the fast-rising Medellin cartel were about to cause Richard to do some work in Brazil. Cocaine became the drug of choice in America in the late 1970s and 1980s. Dealers couldn't sell it fast enough, and all the mob families in New York 
got in on the new way to make ungodly amounts of money. As Roy DeMeo got deeper into the business for the Gambino family, he employed Richard Kuklinski as a guard at a drug warehouse. But soon, Roy being Roy, he needed Richard's other services. DeMeo had been getting his cocaine from the Madeiro brothers in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. But then Pablo Escobar and the Ochoa brothers and the rest of the Medellin cartel came along and they sold it for cheaper prices than the Madeiros. DeMeo wanted to switch dealers and he decided not to pay the Madeiros for their latest shipment. By that point, he owed more than half a million dollars. So he figured it was a bargain to pay Richard $60,000 to fly to Rio and kill the two brothers. Richard had met them once and he actually liked them, but he agreed to do the job anyway. He packed two guns in a wooden box and shipped them to himself at the Copacabana Palace. Then he hopped a flight to Rio. He took a cab from the airport to his luxury hotel, but his guns never arrived. Richard guessed they had been intercepted by a customs agent. He had used a fake name to ship them so there wouldn't be any blowback there. But now he needed to find guns in Rio, and he didn't speak Portuguese. He sat at a shaded outdoor cafe and tried to think of a plan. He noticed a group of young kids peddling drugs along the sidewalks near the beach. He motioned to one of the boys, made the universal shape of a gun with his hand, and communicated that he wanted to buy a gun. The kids said to meet him at the same spot tomorrow at noon. For $100, he'd have his gun. Sure enough, the following day, the kid handed Richard a brown paper bag with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson inside. Richard paid him, went back to his hotel room, and cleaned and oiled it. The revolver was fully loaded, but there were no extra bullets, so he would have to make each of his six rounds count. Next, he went to a hardware store and bought a hammer, pliers, and a screwdriver. He used them to steal a van, and then he spent a couple hours driving around the city trying to remember where the Madeiros lived. He'd only been to their compound once, but he eventually figured out the location. He parked his stolen van outside their fortified gate and waited. Finally, the gate opened and a yellow Mercedes drove out. There were four men in it, the Madeiro brothers and two others. Richard followed them down to the beach, where the four men parked and went into a restaurant on a quiet street. Richard let the air out of their front left tire and returned to his van and waited for what seemed like forever. Eventually, the four men exited the restaurant, all drunk and very relaxed. As they approached their Mercedes, one of the Madeiro brothers noticed the flat tire. Another man opened the trunk and removed the spare. Richard got out of his van and approached in the shadows. As he got closer, the Madeiro brothers saw them, but they didn't believe it was him. What the hell would he be doing down here? And that was when Richard pulled out his Smith & Wesson and fired four times. He put one bullet in each man and killed three of the four right away. He needed a second shot to finish off Eduardo Madeiro, but he never used his last bullet. He drove the van to the other side of the city, wiped it down for fingerprints, threw the gun in the ocean, and returned to his hotel. The next morning, he was on a plane to America, and nobody in Brazil was the wiser.
Next time on Infamous America, Richard Kuklinski meets and learns from a hitman who might be more terrifying than himself and Roy DeMeo. Richard helps John Gotti with a personal and bloody favor, but he also commits two murders that will come back to haunt him. Richard has been on an amazing streak of murders with no consequences, but nothing lasts forever. The slow end begins next week on Infamous America. Members of our Black Barrel Plus program don't have to wait week to week for new episodes. They receive the entire season to binge all at once with no commercials, and they also receive exclusive bonus episodes. Sign up now through the link in the show notes or on our website, blackbarrelmedia.com. Memberships begin at just $5 per month. This series was researched and written by Brian Frazier. Original music by Rob Valier. I'm your host and producer, Chris Wimmer. Find us at our website, blackbarrelmedia.com, or on our social media channels. We're Black Barrel Media on Facebook and Instagram, and B Barrel Media on Twitter. And you can stream all our episodes on YouTube. Just search for Infamous America Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.